mind as far as that uh, there is a sanctity to life and there is a specialness to life. The Bible says in Genesis 3 that we are created in Genesis 3, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that we are creating God's image. And, uh, and that means there is a specialness. And so every life is very, very valuable, including the mothers and the dads and the child. So thank you so much uh, for all that you do. Um, real quick, before I start, take your a bulletin out. And if you can uh, turn over to the spotlight, um, I think it is the uh, third page. It'll say spotlight events. And there's just a few things that I wanted to spotlight uh, for you uh, this morning. Uh, the first one there is our, our children's ministry. Um, one of the exciting things, and you might not know that this has been happening, but um, since January 13th, when uh, we hired Kimberly uh, Fowl and Dion Smith to, to be our uh, leaders in our children's ministry, um, we have tripled in size down the children's ministry. And yeah, that's something you can clap for. And uh, we, uh, I asked them to, when, when you check your children in, uh, they're, they're put into the lambs list and it gives us an accounting of how many children are down there. And uh, the last couple Sundays, our average has been 130 uh, students or children. And understand that's not, you know, because some of them are in there both hours. We're not counting heads twice. Uh, that, that is, you know, individual uh, children. And, and, and so when I say triple, you know, we, were, we had around, you know, maybe 40 children that were down there. And so now they're like coming out of the woodwork. And so we have all these children down here. And so it's been really exciting. And as far as my, my privileges, I get to meet with Dion and, and Kimberly on a weekly basis as an elder and talking to them. And I understand that we're only kind of like a third of the way of where we're trying to get in our children's and preschool ministry. And so it is very, very exciting. But guess what? With all this growth, what do you think we need? We need adults and teenagers that have a heart for Jesus and a love for children. And that's it. And you gotta have to have fun. Gotta have to have fun. And so next Sunday, if you see in there, they are having... A, uh, a training uh, meeting for those. Now, if you were to come to a meeting that I was running, I would be serving you pizza, all right? But Kimberly and Dion, they actually cook. And so they are saying they are going to be cooking. And so uh, I was there for the last one. It was, it was a very delicious meal. But uh, we would love for you to be a part uh, and, and serving. And if you have any interest at all, um, I just encourage you to sign up and be a part of that. And other, one other really quick note, if you look over, turn your page back, I, this is just something else I want to highlight. You see that down there where it says preschool ministry needs? Uh, we are asking, um, we, we are trying to make that area down there more and more exciting. And I'm one of the ones that leads one of the teams for preschool every five weeks. And, you know, we, we had all kinds of toys in there like Noah's Ark, the boat, but we didn't have Noah or the animals. So there wasn't much you could do at the ark. And so we are trying to get rid of toys that you can't play with. It just looks like there's a lot of toys in there and get quality items in there. And so you can read over that. But I wanted to, to kind of highlight that. And then also I've been asked to highlight Trivia Night. Uh, Living Water is having their Trivia Night uh, March 8th, Friday night. Um, it's $25 per person. You can buy a table. And that is to help as far as raising uh, money for Living Water. And as you know, uh, Living Water has been rated the, the best elementary school in West County for the second year in a row. And I think, this is just what I've heard, but uh, 
like every single week we're getting more and more students. And so that is another ministry that's ministering to all kinds of families in our church and also outside of our church. And if you think you're smart or if you just want to have fun, come and, and sign up. You can call the office down at Living Water and, and get a ticket for that. So those are all my announcements. All right? So uh, we are going to begin a, a new series. If you are here uh, a couple months ago when I was teaching, I, I did a series called Live to Give. And the Lord's been teaching me in the area of worship and what worship is all about. And so I'm wanting to do a new series on worship. And so I'm going to call this Live to Worship. All right, so you're really creative in my series titles, but that way it stays simple. That way you can remember uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about really what it looks like to worship. Last week, Matt was here. He spoke. Uh, my other brother is not coming from Delaware to speak next week. You're not going to get the, the clean sweep, but uh, I'm going to be teaching over the next several weeks. So I'm excited about that. If I were to ask you the question, what are we going to do one day when we get to heaven? I think all of us would probably say we are going to worship God. We're going to worship the Lord. And you know what? A lot of us probably think that heaven's going to be pretty boring. Because our picture of worship is simply wrapped up in singing. Well, that's what we just did a few minutes ago. We did, we did three songs. That was our worship. And we think worship is about singing songs. Are we evaluated based on, did that minister to me? Did I like those songs? Mm, yep, that was a good worship experience. And so because worship to us is just simply songs and singing, the idea of heaven is it's going to be this worship set that goes on for millions and millions and millions of years. And what we don't understand is worship is not just music. Now, that is one way that we get to express to God our love for him. And the Bible says that we are to enter his courts with thanks, His gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. But that's not what worship is all about. That's just one little thing. See, worship is our very lives. It includes our work. It includes our lifestyle. It includes everything we do. So, yes, heaven is going to be about worshiping God. But guess what? It's going to be in living. Living lives that are more full than we've ever lived here on this earth. You know, the Bible says in Romans 12, that therefore, in view of God's mercy, we are to offer our bodies as what? Living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is our spiritual act of worship. Our very act of worship is the way in which we live our lives and the way that we live it out in everything that we do, at home and out, wherever we go, and even here at church. Jesus said in John 4, 24, I'm looking for worshipers, and I'm looking for those that will worship me in spirit and in truth. And we're going to talk about that over the next several weeks, what that really means. But first of all, to worship him in spirit means, guess what? I have to be spiritually alive. We talk about the Ephesians 2, that before we come to Christ, we are dead in our transgressions. You cannot worship God until you are spiritually alive because God is spirit. And so to worship him means I must what? Worship him in spirit. And you can't worship him in spirit if you're, if you're dead. And also we're going to talk about hypocrisy and truth and genuineness and authenticity because worship isn't what you, it's not lip service. It's not going to Deerberg's and getting a, a Hallmark card going, oh, that's a really sweet message. And then signing my name on it and giving it to my wife and her feeling like she's blessed. It's not just what I say. It's, it's in everything that I do. It's in the way that I act. It's the way I talk. It's, every, it's everything that I do is what worship is all about. And so we're going to talk about what does it look like to live to worship in everything that we do. 
Now we know in Ephesians 6 that the Bible says that our wrestle is not against what? Flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities of darkness. Listen, everything that we do, we are in a spiritual fight. We are in a spiritual battle, and there is a spiritual scene going on that we cannot see. And what I want to talk about today is the spiritual side of what I believe is going on in this area of worship. So tell your take so tell you what. So take your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 14. And if you want, go ahead and flip open Ezekiel chapter 28 as well. Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. We're going to start in Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to go to Ezekiel 28. We're then going to go to Matthew chapter 4, and then we're going to end up in Revelation. But I'm giving you a head start with Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And while you're turning there, how many of you have ever heard of the Adamic nature? How many of you have ever heard of the Adamic nature? All right. Andy just smiled back there. Very few are like, he just cussed in church. I didn't do that, okay? And they're all over there laughing because that's what happened. No, okay, Adamic is spelled A-D-A-M-I-C, okay? Adam, you know, Adam and Eve. The Adamic nature in theological terms is this propensity to sin because when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, when they fell, when they disobeyed God, okay, their spirit died. And from that point forward, instead of being led by their spirit, which God created them to be led by, they were led by their soul, which is their will, their emotions, their feelings. And so we're born this way. Uh, it's described as the law of sin, uh, the corruptible nature, uh, the carnal mind. Whatever you want to describe it, it's referred to as the Adamic nature. Because of original sin, we're all born that way. Your children are not taught to be selfish. That's just how they're born. It's why you can take them to the zoo, to... Uh, Six Flags, Disney World, you can spend all day trying to bless your children. And when you walk out, they're falling apart and throwing a fit. And you're sitting there going, well, this is the last time we're ever going to do this. Can I have a little gratitude here? It's because we're all born with this. We all have it. You are not the worst parent in the world. There wasn't something that you did. It's the fact that we all have this nature. We want our way. We want to be in control. And the Bible says that that it's this sinful nature that we're all born with, okay? And so it's kind of called the Adamic nature. Now, how have you ever heard the word satanic? Okay, how have you heard the word satanic? Okay, we kind of, when we hear that word, we think uh, something dark, something scary, something twisted, something freaky, okay, that's messed up, that's like in a movie or whatever, but and I put this definition in your, in your notes. Your notes are probably on the, one of the last pages in your, in your bulletin. But I want you to write this down when it comes to Satan because we're going to be talking about Satan today. Because I'm going to show you what I believe as far as Satan. And I know other people don't. But I'm going to show you what I, what I, how I see scripture in this area. But uh, the Bible defines Satan as an angelic being who fell from his position in heaven due to sin and is now diametrically opposed to God. See, I like that word diametrically because it, I, I like superheroes and supervillains and well, they always use that diabolical, diametrical word for those of you that are superhero fans. But Satan's like the evil villain, right? The supervillain. He is diametrically opposed to God, doing all in his power to thwart God's purpose for humanity. So let me ask you this. Who is the author of sin, according to the Bible. Is it Adam? No. 
The author of sin is Satan. In fact, the word Satan actually means adversary of God. Satan is the author of sin, not Adam. And listen, our sinful nature means what? That we are opposed to God. The Bible says it this way. We are enemies of God. We are objects of wrath. And so listen to me. This might kind of unsettle you a little bit. But is it going so far to say that we have a satanic nature? We have a nature that is opposed to God. That is literally doing anything we can to go in opposite. And I'm going to show you here in a second that Satan, his, his desire is to be worshipped and to be adored. And guess what? That is, our, that, is, that is in us, in our sinfulness. We want it to be about us. We want to be in control. We want it, the world to what? Revolve around us. And anything that puts God in a position lower than being a supreme authority is what? Is we are considered practicing what? Idolatry. In fact, 1 Thessalonians says it this way. It says that before we came to Christ, we were serving idols, and now we are now serving God. You might be going, well, Philip, I've never been in a temple. I've never worshipped a statue, so I have never participated in idolatry. No, idolatry is putting anything in a place above God. See, whether you think it or not, when God created you, he created you for worship. That's what you are made for. You were literally hotwired or geared up to worship. And you're either going to worship God or you're going to worship the enemy. I'm going to show you how that works here in a second. So when I say we live to worship, no matter what you choose, you are worshiping something. That's how God set it up. But what I'm going to show you is what, it's kind of like when you see a play. And you, you know, you go see a play or a musical, there's the stage, there's the curtains, and you see everything going on on the stage. But you also know, you don't think about it, but behind the curtain, guess what? There's a whole other thing going on. There's the people running the props, there's the people running the lights, there's the people taking care of all the different things. And if you could see it, you'd see all this stuff going on behind the stage. Okay? So what I'm going to try to do is stand up as we talk about worship is show you what I think is going on behind the curtain. Because we, we live in a what? A spiritual world. There's a spiritual battle. And God made us to worship. Why is it such a struggle for us to worship? All right? So there, I hope, I've, hope I've gotten you like excited about what you're going to hear. Okay? So we're in Isaiah chapter 14. Okay? And I'm going to show you what, what is Satan's greatest desire. In Isaiah chapter 14, starting at verse 12. And, and for right now, I'm going to be reading for, uh, from the New King James. Isaiah chapter 14, starting in verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You are weakened. You have weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, and you can underline these, uh, these are the five I wills. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Now, if you read the beginning of Isaiah 14, you know that this is a prophetic word against the king of Babylon. All right? So he's speaking to, Isaiah is prophetically speaking to a, a king. But also, a lot of times, prophetic words were speaking to other things as well, or they're addressing a spirit behind something. 
Okay, here, here's an example. When Jesus is with his disciples and they're having a conversation about who, he, who Jesus is, Peter says, you are the Christ. And, and Jesus then commends him. And then Jesus goes on to what? Share with his disciples what is about to take place. How he's going to be uh, arrested, how he's going to be crucified, and on the third day he's going to rise again and all these things are going to happen. And, and what does Peter do? Peter rebukes Jesus and says, no, 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 this is not going to happen. Now remember, everything is spiritual. There is a spiritual battle going on. And Jesus turns and looks at Peter and says what? Satan, get behind me. Now, is he talking to Peter or is he talking to the spirit behind which Peter was speaking? He's speaking to the spirit. He's saying, Satan, get behind me because Jesus saw it for what it was. All right? And so here, he's speaking to the king of Babylon, but he is, he is speaking to the spirit behind the king of Babylon. So he's talking about Lucifer. The king of Babylon's name was not Lucifer. Okay? So here you see, he's talking about the spirit of, of Lucifer here, and he's saying, your desire was to ascend, to be on top in heaven. Your desire was to be like the most, God, most high God. And because of that, you will be brought down to Sheol. Okay? So, so Satan's desire, when iniquity was found in his heart, his desire was to what? To be worshiped and to be adored and to be lifted up and to be like the most high. All right? And that, that, that's what his desire is. All right? Now, what in the world was it that Satan did? Okay? And this is where I'm going to show you what, what I, I think in Scripture. Okay? So here, go back to verse 11. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 11, it says, Your pomp, which that word means magnificence, is brought down to Sheol, and the sound of your stringed instruments. Okay? Now, how do you guys have ever heard anybody refer to Lucifer or Satan as, they believe maybe the angel of music, or as the worship leader in heaven? Have you ever heard anybody, like, propose that? Okay, well, I'm proposing that right here. Okay, because right here, it says that he is created. What does he have? What has he got with him right here? Stringed instruments. Okay, now hold on to that. Now flip over to, to Ezekiel chapter 28. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 28. Now this passage right here, he is now, there's a prophetic word being spoken to the king of Tyre. And uh, again, He's speaking to the spirit behind him because you're going to see in this passage there are several things that cannot be referring to the king of Tyre. They're referring to a, a, a ruling anointed cherub, a, a guardian angel that was in the Garden of Eden. Okay, so here we are in Ezekiel chapter 28, starting in verse 11. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, Take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, if this is talking about the king of Tyre, what he's saying is this guy was the most beautiful person to ever walk the face of the earth. He was perfect in beauty and he was the seal of perfection, perfect in every single way. And I don't think that's talking about the king of Tyre. Now, keep going. He says in verse 13, 
you were in Eden. Okay, now list the people that were in, in the Garden of Eden. God, Adam, Eve, and Satan. Okay? You were in Eden, the Garden of God. And underline this little phrase right here. Every precious stone was your covering. Every precious stone is your covering. And then he lists all the stones. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald of gold. Okay, now, and we're going to be talking about the priesthood next week, about what does it mean to be a priest and how God in Revelations 5 is making a, a holy priesthood for him from every tribe, every nation, every tongue to be ministers to our God. In the Old Testament, the priests were ministers. They ministered before the Lord. And if you want to just write this little passage down, Exodus chapter 28, verses 17 through 22, tells exactly what the priest, the high priest, was supposed to wear, this breastplate. And in it, in that breastplate, were each of these jewels. And it was the covering that covered the priest. And so the Bible is describing Lucifer or this anointed cherub that we're going to see as one that we saw in Isaiah that has stringed instruments, but he's also wearing the covering that the priest wore. Okay? And so it goes on to say, you were on the whole, I established you. I'm sorry, I skipped something very important. And, and this is why I'm reading from uh, the New King James here. And I don't know, I've looked in all kinds of passages why um, it reads it differently. But if you read the King James, if you read the New King James, and several other uh, Bibles that I've read in, it will say this. It will say, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Now, I have the ESV, and for some reason, the ESV and the NIV, if you have that, it says in verse 13, it will say, you were in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone was your covering. Listen, on the day they were created for you, they were prepared, you were, and it doesn't, and it just, it doesn't mention this, but here it says, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. Well, does anybody know what a timbrel is? It's a tambourine. And then your pipes. And when you are established, when you are created, you are created with these things. Okay, so, so Satan has stringed instruments. He has pipes. What, what, what kind of instrument is that? That is a wind instrument. And he has tambourines or timbrels. What kind of instrument is that? Percussion. If you are a musician, how many types of instruments are there? Three. Wind, string, and percussion. And the Bible is describing him with these, these instruments. And then it says, it says, I established you, oh, I'm sorry, verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. And the word covering has the idea of ruling. He was the angel or the anointed angel that ruled. And I've read in some commentaries where it says that they believe that his job was to actually guard the very presence of the Lord. Okay, so there's that idea, and then there's this picture of some would say, actually, his job was with these instruments. He was the anointed angel who ruled over the area of worshiping in the presence of the Lord. All right, now, keep going. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. 
by the abundance of your trading. And underline the word trading. And the word for the Hebrew word here for trading is the idea of merchandising. What that means is like a merchandiser is like an embezzler. It's someone that uh, if, if I were to work at the ice cream shop down the road, the owner has entrusted me to, as I work the cash register, to take in the money. As the money is coming in and I'm working the cash register, everything that comes into that cash, cash register belongs to who? It belongs to the owner. But if I'm merchandising, what I am doing is when the money comes in, I am taking some of it for myself and pocketing it and accepting some of it for myself when all of it should go to who? The owner. So here's the pet picture. Iniquity was found in his heart as he was trading, as he was merchandising, as he was receiving for himself something that didn't belong to him. What was it that didn't belong to him? Here, here's what, here's what I, I think was going on. He is the guardian of the presence of the Lord. He is made with these stringed instruments. He is in charge of worshiping. And as he's worshiping, he's receiving the worship in his heart for himself and saying, I will be like the most high God. I will be lifted up. I will ascend. And God knew his heart and said, no, you won't. And listen, he got kicked out of heaven. And it wasn't, he, got, he didn't get kicked out of heaven because God was jealous. He got kicked out of heaven because God is just. And there's only one person, there's only one person in justice that has the right to be worshiped and adored. And who is that? God. And in his justice, Lucifer was kicked out of heaven. Okay, that's, that's what I'm proposing here. All right? So, look at this. Okay? You became filled with violence within you, and you sinned. Okay? He was diametrically opposed to everything God because he wanted to be worshipped and adored and not God be worshipped and adored. And so, therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Okay? So, now here, here's just something else that I just think is interesting because we really, in Scripture, we don't know much about angels. Uh, you know, we have a, a, some passages of, of, of some stuff that's going on where we, enter, that we entertain angels. The Bible actually mentions the names of a couple angels. Can, can anybody think of what those are? You've got Gabriel, you've got, you've got Michael, and you've got... We just talked about him, Lucifer. Those are the three angels that, that we have. And, and they're not just referred to as angels. They're referred to as archangels. And, and the word arch means ruling, right? Now, okay, I just want you to think about this. When we come and meet with the Lord, when we worship, whether it's here at church or in our quiet times, what are the three components that are in any kind of worship? Prayer. Worship singing, okay, and like I said, it's not just singing, but that's a part of it, is praising God, and the third is what? The, the, the Word of God. It's hearing from the Lord. All right, now, okay, we don't have much on it, but I just want you to think about this, okay? Anytime you see Gabriel in Scripture, what is he doing? He's bringing a message. He's the one that brings the message to Zacharias. He's the one that brings the message to Mary. In Daniel 10, when, uh, Daniel receives a vision from God. He prays and 
And, and the, the story is that and, and when Gabriel finally gets there to give them the message from God, he says, um, the moment you prayed, I was dispatched from the throne of God. And the reason why it's taken so long is because what took place? I was, I was held captive. I was fighting against uh, these principalities. And so as you prayed, Michael was sent to what? To fight on it. And, and here's just a quick little word, okay? Maybe sometimes the reason why we don't see our prayers being answered is because we give up in praying because we don't understand we're in a spiritual battle and we need to keep praying. But which brings me to the next one. Michael, you see him, it kind of has this idea. He comes in the answer of prayer. You've got him, this spiritual warrior that in Revelations, we see him as kind of like the host of the army leading the armies of God. In Jude, you have him. It's a really crazy story that I'm excited to find out about one day is where Michael and, and Satan are fighting over the body of Moses. But you've got, you've got Gabriel that you always see in the area of bringing the message of the Lord. You've got Michael that always kind of is in this contrast of spiritual warfare and prayer and all that kind of stuff and, and moving. And then you've got Lucifer who could possibly be the, the worship leader, okay? So like I'm saying, I'm just trying to guess at what I see is going on. And trust me, there's a reason why I'm sharing all this with you and I'm getting somewhere in the area of living to worship, okay? So that's what I see is going here. So what is it that Satan, because he fell from heaven, he's no longer doing that. What is he doing now? Okay, so take your Bible and flip over to Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter four, he is so twisted, so engrossed with being worshiped and adored that here in Matthew, you're going to see that he's actually trying to get Jesus, the son of God, to worship him. Okay, Matthew chapter four. Starting in verse eight. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. All right. So, so Satan is literally right now trying to get Jesus to worship him. Jesus, who the Bible says in John 1 was in the beginning, who is God and who was with God. And he is trying to get him. He's like, well, he's at a moment of weakness. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. I am going to try to get him to do what I've always wanted him to do, and that is to worship and adore me. And then it says in verse uh, 10, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. See, it is written, it is declared, no one can be worshiped except the Lord God. And Satan here, what is he trying to do? What do you think he's trying to get us to do? He's trying to get us to do anything but worship the Lord God because he is diametrically opposed to everything that God has plans and wills for each of our lives. So this is what he's doing right now. Okay, what, what, what's it gonna, how's it going to end? Where is this going? Because we're in a spiritual battle. Take your Bible and turn to Revelations chapter 13. Revelations chapter 13. And of course, uh, if you know much about Revelations, uh, Revelation uh, 13, 
I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 4 through Revelation chapter 18 really kind of tells you about the tribulation, all that's going to be taking place, um, that there's going to be this uh, antichrist that is going to, to, to rise up, and he is going to be trying to get all of mankind to be worshiping him. And so that's what it's talking about here in Revelation chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And the beast, of course, when we read this, is referring to the Antichrist. Uh, the dragon uh, is referring to Satan, okay? So here we go. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. This is depicting that at some point that the Antichrist will be murdered, and through the power of Satan, he will be raised from the dead, and, and everybody will be there worshiping him. He'll be raised through the power of Satan. And in verse 4 it says, And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Okay, so here's, here's where it's going. Remember, this is what Satan has been, you know, this is, what, this is his desire. And it's going to get to a point where he's going to get the whole world to be singing, Who is like the beast, and who can wage war against it? Now, if you know the story in Exodus, when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, when they're going towards the Red Sea, they begin to sing the song, which is called the Song of Moses. And it's a whole passage, but the whole passage is about this. Who is like our God, and who can wage war against him? See, what's going on here is Satan has taken God's song and he's twisted it and he now has the world singing who is like the beast and who can wage war against it. Because his desire, and he's so set on this, is that all mankind is going to worship me and be opposed to God. And so look, flip over just a couple of pages to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17 and look in verse 14. And it says, They will make war on the Lamb. Because remember, they're saying, Who is like the beast and who can wage war against it? They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. Right? So, so this, is, this is what... I picture is going is going to happen because I have a big imagination, so I imagine things all the time when I when I see this. Is there's going to be a day where God is sitting on His throne, and and this is all going to be going on the earth, and Moses, Moses, and because I'm thinking of the song of Moses, and 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 he hears the people and the beast, and they're singing the song. Who is like the beast and who can wage war against it? And I just wonder if God is going to look over at Gabriel and say, 
what did they just say? And, and, uh, and Gabriel's going to go, oh, oh, they said who is like the beast and who's going to wage war against it. That's, that's what they said, God. And God's going to look at Gabriel and say, Gabe, because they're close. That's what he calls them. <laughs> Gabe, give me my sword. And then look at Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11, it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule over them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God and the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you have God sweeping into the story. He takes Satan, he throws him into the abyss. The Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown to the lake of fire. You have a thousand years where he reigns. And then after that, Satan's released. The story goes that there's one last tr- attempt to, to defeat God. God takes Satan, throws him into the lake of fire. And then the Bible says that all of heaven and all of earth are passed away. All this is gone. It's totally gone. I don't know if you ever had the thought, I really wish I could have been there to see what it was like for God to create all this. How unbelievable would have that been? But guess what? Our eyes are going to see him do it. Because the Bible says that he is going to make all things new and he is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, one of my favorite stories is the, the, the uh, Chronicles of Narnia series. And if you have not read all the books, the very first book is called The Magician's Nephew. And the story is that Aslan, who represents God, is going throughout all of Narnia and he's singing. And as he's singing, creation is pouring forth from his lips. And there's a point in the story where the magician's nephew, who actually in the, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, because most of you probably read that one, is actually the guy that owns the house that the four children are living in. He is in Narnia. And he tries to create. And so he tries to create a tree. And instead of a tree coming out, a lampstand comes out, which is the lampstand that is by the wardrobe when they first ended Narnia. And you're like, why is there a lampstand right there? It was man's attempt to do what only God could do, was create. Because all we can do is pervert and change and try to make, and it doesn't work out. But the reason why I'm telling you all this is we're going to see all of creation. We're going to see it all. But there's one thing that we're not going to be able to see, and that is the part that I believe when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, is the new Jerusalem. Because that part we're not going to see created. The Bible says it's going to what? Just come uh, descending out of heaven. Is Revelation chapter 21. And do you know what it describes the new city as? When, when the angel is talking to John, he describes the new Jerusalem and says, look at the bride of Christ. The new Jerusalem is described as the bride of Christ. And as it's coming down, do you know how it's described? As being covered with every precious stone. And it lists the exact same stones that were on the priest's breastplate and that covered 
Lucifer in Ezekiel chapter 28. Okay? The reason why I'm sharing all this with you is because I just wonder. Because, by the way, remember I was giving you the three, the three components? You know, the, the, um, you know, the worship, the prayer, the, the word of God, and the three archangels. When, when Satan fell from heaven in Revelations, how many went with him? One third of heaven. And when you were created, when you were made, you were made with all three instruments. Percussion, wind, and your vocal cords are strings. And so I just wonder, I just wonder, if when Satan fell from heaven, did he look at God and say, who's going to be your worship leader now? And so God reached down, picked up dirt, breathed life into that dirt, and said, this is my new worship leader. And so Satan said, I'm going to do whatever I can to get that to worship me. And so he steps into the garden and he gets Eve and Adam to doubt God, his goodness and his word and to see the tree and to see that it's pleasing to the eye. And even though God had said something to oppose him and what, what Satan really did, you know what he did? He stole their identity. And so what do we struggle with our whole lives? Our identity. They were just like God. And he said, if you eat of this, you'll be just like God. He stole their identity. He deceived them and they went out fallen, opposed to God. And so God loved that dirt so much that he came into the world and became dirt and died on the cross so that we might be saved, that we might have eternity so that we could go from serving idols to serving him. Because when God wired us, he made us to worship. And so guess what? You are worshiping no matter whether you think you're choosing or not to, you are worshiping something. And if you're not living and worshiping for him and living for him, guess what you're doing? You're worshiping what is opposed to God. And there's only one person that is worthy to be lifted up and adored, and that is him. So believe it or not, you are living to worship. It's what are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? And so Jesus says, I'm looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And I believe that is why we live in such a spiritual battle. And that's why the enemy roams like a lion seeking whom he may devour, seeking who he can destroy. He is a thief. He is a destroyer because he is doing anything he can to get your eyes off of the Lord and on yourself and you. Because if you leave and serve yourself, then that means you're opposed to God. It's all about worship. And so in closing, I just say, what are you worshiping? What are you living for? What are the lies of the enemy that you are believing that he has deceived you to live for other things other than him? Because it's not singing songs. It's your very life. You're to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So don't conform to the patterns of this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might be able to test God's perfect and pleasing will for you. His will for you is that you be a worshiper every area of your life. You know, even in our bulletin, in our vision statement, 
It says we are surrendered to be a dynamic community of faith, which is endeavoring to impact the world by experiencing, living, modeling, and communicating authentic faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Increasingly, our intention is to become, and the first thing it says, our intention is to become a worshiping, caring, and serving community, exalting the Savior. See, that's what we're, that's what we're about. We're about a community. That's what it means to be a dynamic community of faith, is that we are serving the Lord God rather than serving idols and worshiping Him. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Are there any areas in your life that need to be surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? If you're a worshiper, which by the way, every single one of us in here are worshipers, what is it that you are worshiping? What are the things that you're living for? It's a spiritual battle. It's a battle that's been going from the very beginning. From the very point where iniquity was found in Lucifer's heart. And now we're a part of this story. Whatever you're living for, if it's not the Lord in every area, lay it down. Father, we love you so much. We thank you that you have created us to know you, to be known by you, to experience intimacy with you, to serve you, to worship you. And the way that you create us, that's the greatest thrill. There's no other way we can be satisfied. There's no other way we can experience peace and wholeness and joy. But the enemy lies to us and tells us that all these other things are going to bring satisfaction. Only you bring satisfaction. Fulfillment only comes in worshiping you with our lives. That as your word says, that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. We do it all in worshiping you. That every thought, every motive, every deed, it's all about you. It's not about us. love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray.